of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. And I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television, they can go to our website at www.hotm.tv. Click on Streaming Video, and they can watch the program from anywhere in the world. I was a born-again Mormon. We've recently made that available through a PDF download on the same website. Actually, you go to www.bornagainmormon and you click on download and you can have it in your hands within minutes at no charge. If you prefer a hardbound copy, expect those to be available around mid-December. Hey, uh, friends uh, out in the Ogden, Layton area, New Life Christian Bookstore is in desperate need of patronage. Christian bookstores in Utah that are not part of a chain have a very difficult time surviving. Most of them uh, close up. Uh, so if it's in your uh, purview and the Lord so guides, check them out. They're on North Main in Layton. Maybe some early Christmas shopping, something like that. But they've been a big supporter of uh, the program through selling the books, things like that. And it's a great uh, Christian outreach. We're going to try and finish up covering LDS church history this year between now and the end of December. And then next year, we're going to open up the Bible and give a verse-by-verse -verse explanation of all the biblical passages the LDS used to errantly support their doctrine. <clears throat> like the meaning of the two sticks is found in Ezekiel and their baptism for the dead reference found in 1 Corinthians 15, their uh, misuse of the Malachi references uh, to John the Baptist and uh, temple work, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, on and on and on. I think I'm more excited about this coming year of 2010 and doing that than any programs of the past, so stay tuned. Recently received a number of interesting e emails this past week, very interesting. Uh, one says uh, from a woman, my guess is you are a weak person that wasn't strong enough to live the gospel, that's the Mormon gospel, her definition of the gospel, that rather than accepting your flawed self, you tried to find flaws in the church and others. Christ's gospel, she says, is true. Then she writes, but we are all here to become stronger. I'm really not sure why she equivocates with a but. And then she continues on and bears her testimony. This was a very long email, but I wanted to start off with those comments, we received a number of them like that, a number of calls too. You know, there are essentially two main attitudes people who consider themselves Christian maintain as the way that they will both please God in this life here on earth and the way they will enter their presence when they enter his presence when they are dead. 
The first attitude or approach is by believing that they will please and enter his presence through their goodness and their righteousness and their self-discipline and their profound contributions to society. That's plan A. That's attitude A through their righteousness that they have acquired in this life. The second attitude is by believing that they will please him and enter his presence only by faith in what Jesus did on their behalf. Believing and embracing any part of the first attitude will always, in one way or another, translate into people looking at themselves and at other people around them through a lens of moral scrutiny and judgments and condemnations. When the ball of salvation is ever taken out of the hands of Jesus and placed on the court of man, the need to dribble and pass and expertly shoot becomes mandatory to stay on God's team. This is not legitimate in Christianity. Last week, we ended our program with an LDS caller who identified himself as Rick. Rick decided that it was his job to ask me about my past or personal worthiness here on the air. He had heard in the park, from what he said, that I had committed adultery and left my wife and children. I tried to address the accusation simply and directly by admitting to Rick that I was guilty, even though I have never left my wife or family, as he implied. I do not agree with adultery. I don't justify adultery, condone adultery in the least. I, have tried, I, I could have tried to offset his accusation by mentioning that he spoke of things in my life 10 years past, but that would have been a smoke screen, quite frankly, uh, because I am very much still the same man. When in my flesh, a fact I made clear to Rick when I asked that I continue to be an adulterer every time I look on a woman with lust in my heart, according to Jesus. The point is that the caller Rick believed that he was in the position, it was his right, it was his duty to be my moral superior and publicly castigate me for the sins of my life. What made Rick think that he needed or could do this? He, Rick embraces the first approach, the LDS approach to reaching God, which is through his own righteous life and actions. With this belief in hand, he somehow came to think that he can look out at his neighbors, families, friends, and enemies and kind of tisk tisk because he would never uh, and he never has fallen to such depths of depravity. Right here on this point alone, we have a major divergence between Mormonism and biblical Christianity. Mormons actually believe they're going to enter heaven through a combination of Jesus' shed blood, which will cover sin, and, and their righteous, worthy lives. Genuine biblical Christians know they will enter God's glory not because they are worthy or unworthy, but for no other reason than faith on the shed blood of his son. The attitude of worthiness based on anything but the righteousness of Jesus is one of the greatest lies in the world. And it is, and it is embraced not only by most LDS, 
it becomes the worldview of many, many misguided Christians. My response to Rick created concern for some Christian brothers and sisters of mine who called me to discuss their fears. They seemed to want to make sure that I was not saying I was literally involved in a, an adulterous affair presently, right now, because how I responded made it seem like I was. I want to say something now that's going to bother some of you greatly. It will certainly be misunderstood, but it's not going to prevent me saying it. I have never, ever met a man more evil than myself. Sean McCraney, the man sitting right in front of you right now, here on the stage now, is, not was, is a selfish alcoholic. He is a prescription drug addict. He is a rabid adulterer, a sexual deviant, and a violent man. If you need to see me in my flesh as anything else, you've got your wires crossed. And if you want me to reassure you of anything otherwise, it's not gonna happen. Right now, in my body, in my flesh and bone, live all things vile. They came with my physical entrance into this world and the experiences I had growing up as a child. Take me out and get my old man going and the right circumstances, and I can assure you I am capable of almost every evil act under the sun. I have nothing, nothing in myself at all that will justify my natural person before God. Nothing but my faith and trust and love in Him. And yet, in this state, my fallen nature, while I was in sin, He came and saved me. I am a sinner saved by grace, saved through no good thing in me. And through this salvation, I was made a new creature in Christ spiritually, in Jesus, in Him. Anything that comes out of me that is positive or loving or beneficial or good originates from Him and in Him alone. And for this, I praise him. And as Paul said, with my spirit, I serve the law of God, loving others, forgiving others. Right, Michelle? Returning evil with good, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Again, if you are looking for someone to claim something else to prevent you or to present you with any other picture, you have come to the wrong place. There are plenty of men and women out there who are more than happy to hold themselves up as someone you can marvel about, but I'm not one of them. But if you want to meet a sinner saved by grace who loves and trusts, forgives and gives his allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ as my King and God, then you can look to me for that title. And with that, let's have a prayer. God in heaven, we love you and need you. And we have to have you in our lives. So we pray that you will send your grace and your spirit to be with us. We pray you will be with our audience wherever they may be, on YouTube, 
streaming, in their home watching television, or in this audience. We pray for those especially, Lord, who are seeking truth and who have been disaffected because of religion and religious people. We pray that you will help them see the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. For the past few weeks, we have been discussing the discontinuation of the physical LDS practice of plural marriage or polygamy. Remembering, of course, that the doctrine of the practice is still included in their present-day scriptures and that LDS today continue to have men, uh, women sealed to them spiritually in their temples. Well, last week we mentioned that once Mormon, Mormons achieved statehood for the Utah Territory, the LDS made a renewed effort to reinstitute plural marriage. Even though the introduction of legislation, uh, even uh, through the introduction of legislation called the Evans Bill. So they became a state, and then they tried to bring this Evans Bill in that would refute the, uh, the Tucker Act and would help polygamy start to come back in once they became a state. Word got out that they were, what they were trying to do, and interested parties in the nation rose up and revolt against the LDS underhanded ways. This revolt culminated in what is known as the Reed-Smoot case, which was an in-depth investigation into Mormonism by a Senate committee. The committee wanted to know things like, are the church and state one in Utah? Does the church, Mormon church, control the conduct of its members? Does Mormonism encourage polygamy and cohabitation? Would the temple oaths the LDS take supersede a Mormon's loyalty to the American government? The answers, yes, 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 and yes. The Smoot hearings lasted three years and produced more than 3,000 pages of transcript and truly exposed much about Mormon culture, history, and theology. One of the major focuses of the investigation was to answer the question, could Senator Smoot, who was a high-ranking authority in the LDS Church, an apostle, also be loyal to America? Central to this teaching was the LDS teachings, which were prevalent at the time, that all faithful Mormons were to swear an oath of vengeance against the United States for the shed blood of Joseph Smith. The LDS doctrine of blood atonement was closely tied to their taking this oath in the temple. The oath of vengeance appears to have originated in June of 1845 when the Quorum of Twelve Apostles gathered in a prayer circle and uttered a prayer of vengeance against those who shed Joseph Smith's blood. Six months later, this prayer became part of the LDS temple endowment ceremony, and from there, vengeance became a major thread in the fabric of early Mormonism. Hence, we had Mountain Meadows. Several Mormon hymns were composed and sung regularly that included themes of vengeance. I forgot to bring those with me. Maybe next week I can start off with those, those numbers which they sing in their hymnals about getting revenge upon the nation, upon the people who martyred Joseph Smith. It's part of their worship, actually, in their sacrament services way back when. The oath of vengeance remained in LDS temples for 70 years until February of 1927 when Apostle George F. Richards sent a letter to all temple presidents and told them to omit the oath of revenge part of the prayer uh, ritual that went on in the temples. Because of this late date of 1927, there is a certainty that Senator Smoot had taken the oath of vengeance and was therefore compromised as either a Mormon 
or as a senator, depending on where his allegiances lay and to whom he was willing to lie to. Hypothetically speaking, if any LDS man or woman ever ran for office of the U.S. president, the same conflict would exist. Would his or her allegiance be to Mormonism and its prophet, who is supposed to, according to uh, Ezra Taft Benson, have the ultimate say in all things temporal, secular, and spiritual, or would his or her allegiance be to the United States and its people? This is a gigantic concern with enormous implications in this day and age as the LDS Church is doing all it can to obscure this allegiance. Another fact that was brought forth by the Reed Smoot hearings was the LDS belief that non-Mormon people are unfit to govern the masses. By 1904, Mormons had been declaring that one, a just political system can only originate from God, I might agree with that, but they also claim that the authority to lead humanity rests solely with the men holding the LDS priesthood and the keys to all knowledge and power are located only within the confines of the LDS priesthood. To say the least, the Mormon stance was disconcerting to this Senate committee. In addition to all this, the old issue of polygamy took a tremendous amount of limelight in the Smoot case too. The first witness called by the Senate committee was the sixth LDS president, Joseph F. Smith. During his testimony, which lasted over five days, President Smith admitted that some LDS leaders had, in fact, defied federal laws and the church manifesto against taking on additional wives. Responding to his own volition, violation of the same de defiance, the sixth prophet, seer, and revelator of the Mormon church admitted, quote, I have cohabitated with my wives, not openly, that is, not in a manner that, I would be, that it would be offensive to my neighbors, but I have acknowledged them, I have visited them. This was under the uh, auspices of polygamy and cohabitation to have been made illegal by the federal government and the Mormon church. The sixth president of the church came and admitted to the Senate that he had, in fact, cohabitated with them. President Smith failed to mention that he had also strongly promoted defiance against the federal laws to other Latter-day Saints, and that he also performed polygamous ceilings himself for the benefit of other leading men in the church. However, and this is important, the Mormon president also neglected to admit under oath that what he did privately was very, very different from what he said and did publicly. In a series of outright lies, the prophet and seer claimed that, quote, no one had for years been authorized to perform any such marriages. This was not true. That he did not know of any such cases. Not true. And that, to his knowledge, no plural marriages were taking place in the church, either in the U.S. or in any other country. These were lies, lies, and lies. This is the heart of the matter when it comes to the Mormon religious institution. It's political machinations, its environment of deception, and its corporate decisions to deceive, all in the name, a concerted effort to protect the church. And Jesus said, who is the father of all lies? The deceptions and lies unearthed at the Smoot hearings continued, all in an effort to protect the church. Apostle Mariner W. S uh, Mariner Merrill swore under oath that he had not taken any plural wife since 1890. Swore, apostle, under oath. He took one as late as 1901. 
The other uh, absurd testimonies came forth. Apostle Henry John Smith testified, I mean, John Henry Smith testified he could remember very little about anything that happened since the manifesto for polygamy came out, including how many children were born to him since that time. The so-called apostle said of the Lord defending his amnesia, uh, he said, it is, quote, it is a matter with which I have never charged myself regarding dates. The date to my own birth has always been a little mixed up in my mind. LDS member Margaret Geddes swore she was an unwed mother, but declined to identify the father of her child. The Senate committee accepted her testimony as truth. Then in 1912, when the richest man in Utah, David Eccles, died, she immediately filed a paternity suit and swore that she had been sealed by an LDS apostle to Eccles in 1898, five years before she swore she was unwed before the Senate committee. Lies, lies, lies. Exactly how many uh, post-manifesto marriages took place is unknown because LDS records were changed to make all the post-manifesto uh, marriages look like they had taken place prior to the manifesto coming out. Apostle Francis Lyman told the committee that fellow Apostle Senator Smoot was ignorant of his polygamous wives, but that the general population of Utah was well aware of the fact. When questioned about the absurdity of such a statement, Apostle Francis Lyman said, quote, I think it is accepted as a fact by Mr. Smoot, but I do not think he knows it. The ridiculousness of this statement caused the committee members to burst out laughing. This caused Lyman to contradict his statement, but to justify his idiocy of, by saying that the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord directed him to say what he had said in his answers. One Senator Hoar asked Apostle Lyman, did the Spirit of the Lord direct you to make the answer which you just took back and said was a mistake? Apostle Lyman could not respond. These are all apostles, men who call themselves apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, lying before the Senate committee, lying before uh, every question they're getting about their polygamous activities, about their extra wives, about their cohabitation. A Christian would stand up, if a Christian believed in polygamy, uh, and it was a Christian edict, a Christian would stand up and say, I practice polygamy. That's all there is to it. You're going to be put to death, then I'm put to death. It's the same premise. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Do you believe that you're saved by grace? Yes, I do. Do you know we're going to kill you for it? Yes, I do. It's happened throughout the ages. LDS, lie. There's the difference. Through all of this, it was apparent by the 1890 manifesto issued by the LDS prophet, Seer and Revelator, it was only a ruse. Self-proclaimed apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and United States Senator Reed Smoot himself also lied under oath. He swore he had never heard, quote, never heard a discussion of plural marriage in the meetings of the apostles. Today, when we go back and look at those meetings records, we can see Smoot was in 16, at least 16 meetings, where not only was polygamy discussed, but Smoot himself made comments on it, including if it was universally practiced, it would save the world from sorrow and distress. He also stated in a meeting that he, quote, looked forward to its restoration. On several occasions, Senator and Apostle Smoot advised others on how to avoid rest, arrest for the practice. Despite these dishonors, Smoot held his position in Washington for 30 years, eventually becoming one of the most powerful of all congressmen in uh, the government. 
The Senate committee voted seven to five against Reed Smoot retaining his seat in the Senate. But by the time the report was presented and debated before the actual Senate in 1907, Smoot had established many friends in Congress, including a relationship with President uh, Teddy Roosevelt. At this point in LDS history, we witness a dramatic and impressive shift. A shift from its foundations of magic, violence, and multiple wives to new power in politics and the prestige of personality where powerful seeds of Mormon persuasion were now firmly planted in Washington, D.C. soils, Utah Mormonism was beginning to split apart. Some of the saints, preferring to progress into an age of a single spouse and multiple bank accounts, and others, refusing to abandon the vision and teachings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, chose to stay with what those men taught was eternally true, polygamy. Enter the rise of Mormon fundamentalism. We'll talk more about that next week. We're going to open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Please, first-time callers, if at all possible, LDS callers are preferred. Uh, please turn down your uh, television sets while the operators are placing you on hold. And while we're waiting for the operators to clear the calls, we're going to run a spot for our partners program. We know times are tough financially. We understand that Christian people are trying to support themselves and their families, their own churches, and many, many other viable ministries uh, that are seeking to reach the lost. We hope you'll consider Aletheia Ministries as one of them. We can assure you that whether you support us through prayer, finances, or by volunteering your time, your offerings are greatly appreciated and will be put to good use for the good news. Let's run the spot and come back and take your calls. Hi, I'm Sean McCraney with Aletheia Ministry, producer of Heart of the Matter. We exist solely on the support of those who appreciate our efforts at reaching others with the saving message from Jesus Christ. We want to invite you, if you're so inclined, to come alongside with us, partner with us financially. Now, all uh, support and prayers are greatly appreciated, but Heart of the Matter Partners, or HOTM Partners, has been carefully designed to supply support for Aletheia Ministries' long-term sustainability without burdening individuals too much. On your screen is an address. You can write to partners there, ask information, whatever you want to do, we'll send you a brochure. Also, if you're interested, you can check us out at www.hotm.tv. Additionally, you can call us, 1-888-868-4686. All prayers, all support are appreciated. God bless you. See you Tuesdays. We're back. Our phone lines are full, but just keep trying. If you get a message or whatever it is, just keep trying, 801-973-TV20. we got Phil in Tooele, Danny in West Valley, Jesse in Springville, first-time caller. Uh, who is LDS, and Lori on line four. We're going to take Jesse first, who's LDS here, what he has to say, or she. Jesse, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jesse? Good. Hey, I, uh, I'm wondering how, how do you know everything you preach or to be true? How do you know the Bible is true? Well, um... One, the Bible is supported by evidence, and the evidence is profound. Not only external evidence, Jesse, but internal evidence. 
prophecies fulfilled, continuity between the books, between authors who didn't know each other. So I read and study the Bible, which I believe is God's word. What I find in those, in those books testifies to me by the Holy Spirit that what is being said is true. Now, it's not a feeling. It's just a, testif a testifying through the evidence placed before me in the Word of God that it is, it is right and true. Then we test the Word and see if what the Word says is right. So by those means, I know what I'm talking about is truth. However, there are differences of opinion within the body of Christ. Some Christian denominations will say this is important. Others will say that is important. Of course, those are not on the core issues as to who Jesus was, how salvation comes, resurrection, all the core issues, but there's some superfluous issues that they will disagree on. And what I attribute that to is, one, God allowing diversity within the body of Christ, and, and, and he's not, he uses the term knit often in Scripture, which gives you a loose movement, not a static, firm a thing. It's a dynamic movement. And so... But when it comes to knowing in, without question something, the only thing you can in, know without question is the Lord Jesus Christ because he is truth, without shadow, without variance, 100%. He said, I am the truth, capital T. So one last thing, and then if you have further questions. When I share what I have experienced with people of all denominations, Throughout the world, we speak a similar metaphysical language that wasn't rehearsed or taught. It comes about through our understanding of who God is and what he has said. So I can meet a Baptist from Uganda and sit there for enough time. And if we can understand each other, we will have the same metaphysical language that does not come out of people who do not know the same truth. Does that help? Oh, can. Can. Through the fruits of the Spirit, you can know the Bible to be true? The fruits of the Spirit, uh, that would help, yes. But it's a combination of all those things. So, because so, that's how I know the Book of Mormon to be true in the Word of God, because I've read it, and I asked my Heavenly Father whether it was true, and I had an overwhelming, peaceful feeling come over me that testified to me that, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, and the Book of Mormon is Scripture. Same with the Bible. Okay, Jesse, let me say this. Never in Scripture does God ask you to test his word to see if it's true. It was only in the Book of Mormon that Joseph threw that caveat there. Now, how do you know when you pray that the Book of Mormon is true or that Mormonism is true, the answer you get through the overwhelming feelings is any different than the Muslim Muslim? Muslim uh, or the Jehovah's Witness or the Buddhist. What makes your feelings that you're experiencing when you pray to know it's true any different from someone else who prays to know if something's true? Well, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily concern myself with, with, with other people seeking personal answers uh and i don't i don't question that it's not the same feeling but i i know satan has his imitations of the spirit but i don't believe okay so if, if satan ha you admit that satan has those imitations how do you know you're not subject to that well 
I said to the exception of peace. I, I don't believe he can. I don't believe he can duplicate peace. I think that Jesus said uh, that the Holy Spirit will bring bring peace, but it's not the peace that the world gives. He said, "There's a peace that the world gives." And quite frankly, I mean, and I don't want to insult you, but when I look at Mormonism's peace, it's what the world gives. It's accompanied by oboe music, soft lighting, nice fabric. It's uh, by finer things of life. The Holy Spirit testifies in a different way of peace that is not as what the world gives. And so I well, would no? I'm, I, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I believe that the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is, is in a state of apostasy. I think they're, they've gone apostate. Yeah. And, uh, are, are you a fundamentalist? No. Okay. You know, you, guess, you might want to... I guess you could call me a fundamentalist. I, I still go to church. I believe a Davidic servant, one mighty and strong, is going to come back and set the church in order. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty old school, almost uh, a fundamental to me. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess you could call me a fundamentalist. I you believe in polygamy? Yes. Okay. Well, then you're, you're a fundamentalist. I mean, you might not like the title, but that's what someone would call you today. Uh, yeah, you I, know, don't, I don't mind the title. You don't mind it. Okay. Well, no. Jesse, I would suggest to you that, and were you raised a fundamentalist? No. Did you convert? My wife, my, I got a wife and four kids. I mean, we're currently adopting a kid. And she's mainstream. She's mainstream LDS, and we go to church every week. Yeah. And, uh, but I, <coughs> the things I know to be true, Okay. the things I've acted upon, the things that I've, I've uh, changed my life to do are things that the Spirit of the Lord has testified to me. I've, I've learned to recognize the fruits of the Spirit, and as I, as I don't deny that, it becomes more recognizable to me, and the power of discernment is how I can discern Satan's imitations and the true fruits of the Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord. Feelings are, are not trustworthy, Jesse. They're not trustworthy, my friend. The Bible, uh, and the reason I, I can say this, you asked how I know, the reason I can say this is that if what you're saying is true, and, and you're saying that you have embraced things about Mormonism that you claim is true, those things are contrary to the Word of God. And next year we're going to spend going through all the Mormon claims, I hope you'll stay with us, and we're going to use the Bible that the LDS claimed to use to support their thing, and we're going to show you how it is a different gospel. So, you, you, you know, it, it, I appreciate actually you being on here and being honest with us. Usually we have people coming on here and twisting it. But you are staying the course of what you believe. That's fine. But I would challenge you to stay with us all next year. Go with us through the Bible. Let's talk about all the scriptures they use to prove their things. And I will show you the biblical contextual evidence how what Mormonism teaches is not biblical at all. Well, I mean, and another thing you said, you, you know, you rely on physical evidence there's overwhelming physical evidence of the book of mormon oh, where it took place. oh jesse jesse unbelievable uh, artifacts hundreds jesse. Of thousands of artifacts found in north america jesse that is so not true it, i know you believe that my friend but it well, is I've seen them. it's not true uh in fact you can look at the go to utlm.org Smithsonian came out. There's no evidence. No, no uh, archaeologist of repute would ever admit there's any evidence anywhere to support 
provable archaeological evidence to support the Book of Mormon. There's a lot of supposition. There's a DVD, DVD you've got to watch. It's called the North American Book of Mormon. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Jesse, it'll thanks you, for the call. It'll blow you out of water, Sean. What's that? It'll, it'll boggle your mind. I bet it will. Hey, you, you take care, my whole, friend. Nice. Uh, you have to change your whole program. Okay. All right. Take care, my friend. Well, one DVD. Uh, yeah. You read the Bible, I'll watch your DVD. Are you turning me off? We're just getting started. We're not, buddy. The audience wants to keep it moving. Thanks so much. God bless you. Bye-bye. Uh, the one DVD, I'll have to replay that and hear what it was, and I'll take a look at it. And I hope Jesse will stay with the program and keep looking at the complete deception he's in. At least Jesse is living true Mormonism. He's living what Joseph Smith taught uh, without shame. He's admitting it. Now hopefully we can get him with the truth of the Bible. Let's go to Danny in West Valley. Uh, Danny, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, yes. Uh, glad to talk to you. Glad to talk to you, Danny. Okay. Uh, I've got three... Uh uh, episodes right here on polygamy especially and I want your opinion on it okay. which is uh, why is it that uh, the FLDS or the LDS they both believe uh, the LDS don't believe in polygamy but yet they still play it and they sneak into uh, polygamy and FLDS uh, sits there and they'll uh, they bring it straight out uh, on polygamy, and uh, you know, like they hide it, or LDS hides it. And uh, because I was going with a girl at one time, and she was uh, LDS, and she asked me to be a, uh, if she could be my second, you know, because I was already married. And uh, and she goes, so that's the way we do it. And then the the third one was uh, is when they uh, sit there and they get. Uh, married they can stay married for less than six months and uh, they can get an annulment and to me that's just as bad as uh, polygamy because they can have more than one wife i don't know the answer to to your question danny so really simply put give me a real simple uh summary of your question okay uh how do they do it so sneakily uh, you know oh, uh, the flds and the lds you know, uh, I, 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 Mormonism is found, founded on the snake. It's founded on deception. And I am not picking on you if you believe in Mormonism. I'm talking about your roots. Right. And, and because it's founded on that, that, that continues to live and is strong within the church today. Just like we just talked about those quotes from the, before the Senate committee. These apostles and prophets, seers, and revelators absolutely deceived and lied to the Senate committee when they investigated Utah Mormonism because it's founded on the lie. The whole thing is a lie. The Book of Mormon is a lie. The Pearl of Great Price, an absolute lie. Book of Abraham, a lie. His revelations, a lie. And so when it's all built on a lie today, they're going to perpetuate that. Yeah, they look better, they dress better, they have fine finances, but it's all built on deception. Okay. But uh, I'll let you know, I'm not a believer in the LDS Church. I know. I'm a born-again Christian. Awesome. After 10, after 10 years, I praise the Lord for taking me out of that world that I was in. But uh, praise that was God. my question. Thanks, Dan. Thanks so much for your call. You bet. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to Phil in Tooele. Phil, you're on Heart of the Matter. Phil? Hello? Phil, you're on the air. Oh, okay, you're still talking. Yeah, you got to turn your TV down, Phil. 
No, I'm I'm away from it. I was just listening to your conversation with the other guy. Okay, so um, watch your show all the time. Not really a religious guy at all, but you know my wife and I find it kind of amusing to watch this. So my question is, I, I grew up in the LDS Church, but haven't been active for a long time. Yeah. Um, recently, I guess there was a book released um, about Joseph Smith or something, and his association with the Freemasons, and where some of the, uh, I don't know, doctrine or whatever, had originated from the Freemasons. What do you know about that? I know that uh, there are, have been a number of books written about it. It's absolutely substantiated that Joseph Smith was a great synthesizer of information. He went through the Masonic Temple. He became a third degree or ninth degree or some degree Mason. And he took that stuff and within a month he had concocted the LDS Temple Ceremony. And you can look at the Masonic rituals and rites and oaths that they do in their, te in their uh, sacred temples and you can compare them to the LDS version of what they do in their sacred temple and you'll find that the, the comparisons are amazing. And it has absolutely nothing to do with the ancient uh, temples of Solomon and, and, uh, and Herod and all those. So um, if you go to UTLM, www.utlm.org, they have all kinds of information that will show you uh, the preponderance of evidence. And so what's so sad is there are very good people who want to please God and follow him that are going into these temples. They're spending their lives, their money, their tithing to do genealogy, to do this research and work for people that was completely taken from uh, masonry. Anyone who's a Mason and understands masonry, they laugh when you hear the word Mormon because they know what Joseph Smith did. And uh, even the clothing is similar. Uh, so it's really unfortunate, Phil, but that's, you're right, you're on to something there. Check it out. Well, okay. So, which brings me to the point. Let's say that this kid was smart enough to put all of that together at the age of 14. He wasn't and I'm not trying, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be one of your... Okay, I'm but wait, Phil. But, 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 but Phil, just... just yeah. Just for, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you said at the age of 14. Let me give you a really quick chronology. When he was 14, he went back when he was older and said it was when he was 14 that he had a first vision. That first vision changed three or four or five times from when he first said to an official version. And the official version came out when he was about 24 or 27, something in there. I can't remember my dates, but when he was 14, that is just a rewritten history that he came up with. And this whole thing that he says happened back when he was 14, I don't believe happened the way it did, and neither does Grant Palmer, LDS writer of Insider's View of, of uh, Mormon Origins. So read that book. Then when he became, uh, when he was around uh, 17 or 18, he had the supposed vision of Moroni, and then it took him another seven years after having the vision of supposedly having these gold plates to actually produce the manuscript called the Book of Mormon. And so we have a chronology that is not a 14-year-old boy doing all of this. We have a chronology that spreads out to a man in his late 20s doing all of this who was surrounded by chicanery and deception and magic-seeking and peeking in stones and finding hidden treasure. This was the whole deal. And he turned it into religion and he had a following and they, they loved him because he was charismatic and he was a mesmerizer and it got them going and that's what occurred. 
So if you knew the chronology, you wouldn't. You probably wouldn't say something like, "When he was 14, he did all this." He didn't. Well, yeah, and the fact is, is I don't. You know, I mean, like right. I was raised in it, so I know what I've been told, and I yeah. don't. I don't even profess to be. You know. Well, it was a good call, Phil. No, I really appreciate it. We're going to Denton, Texas, uh, line four, Walker in Denton, Texas. He's LDS. Hey, Sean, how are you? I'm doing well. How you doing, Walker? I'm good, thanks. Um, I'll try and keep my question as, as brief as possible. Um, you talked about how you're wanting to get on to more uh, biblical doctrines and so forth in the next year, so mine's more of a biblical question. Um, as you're well aware, the LDS have this belief in a divine council of eternal gods before the world was and yeah. so forth. That's, you know, you're well aware of that. My question really is kind of to get your opinion and feedback on what do you think about the increasing scholarship, biblical scholarship, that is detecting a divine council presence in the Old Testament texts, and the consensus has basically concluded that ancient Israel was a monolatrous religion who believed in a multiple of deities, not necessarily worshipped them, but acknowledged their existence. And this is aside from idolatry, this is aside from apostasy, this was their original belief system. I, I'm, I'm curious on what you think about that. Well, uh, I think a couple things off the okay. top of my head. First, I, having read the scripture in, in, in depth, old and new, I believe what we have is right, and I believe that is the version of the ancient Israel's b belief system. So I would believe any findings today that they were polytheistic or uh, accepted many deities is a complete lie. Central, Deuteronomy uh, 5.4, central, the great Shema is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And that is central, central to uh, Judaism. And, and Islam and Christianity. So I would, I would very seriously look at the, um, the scholarship, the, re, the sources, and everything else that's coming up with these findings. I would, and I would absolutely agree with you on that, though I would disagree with your interpretation of, of Deuteronomy 6.4 because simply the Hebrew is, is solely Yahweh, you know, for God, Yahweh one. Right. It doesn't say Yahweh is the only one in existence. If anything, the translation is the Lord is our God, the yeah. Lord alone, or the Lord is unique. Well, well I think that, when, I mean, obviously there are, uh, but the Christian view, when it says, let us make man in our image, that it's Trinitarian. I mean, but still, the Christian view and the uh, Hebrew, the, the, the Judaic view, is that it is monotheistic. So, and, and so, without question, I stand by the uh, uh, belief and that the word confirms it's monotheistic, but when we do see a plurality, like let us make in, him and our, man in our own image, that they're to, referring to a Trinitarian concept. Okay, and, the, and I would, obviously I would disagree with you on that as well. Um, your idea of let us and putting the, imposing that on, on the Genesis text. Um, let me share just something from the New English Translation commentary that actually talks about but, that. The, 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 problem, the problem is, is you know, and I know, what, I know you have some arguments and things, but the, the, new, the New English commentary uh, is uh, a, a version that we would have to, you would have to also give me who worked on that, what their theology is. You know, we have, we have very liberal scholars in the quote-unquote church today who are oh, renouncing the deity of Jesus, 
you know, and they are renowned scholars who are saying Crossan is one of them. So they're saying Jesus wasn't even divine. So it's really sketchy to get on a show and start giving evidences and quoting from places that we don't have uh, the, the, the library here in front of me to be able to say, well, okay. But, Do you know who Daniel B. Wallace is from the Dallas Seminary? Uh, yeah. Okay, he was one of them that worked on it. Okay, that's one. Uh, okay, I, what I want to say, though, Wall Walker, and you have to understand me here. Okay, I, am, I am a researcher and a reporter. I am not a scholar. You can tell that by looking at me. And, but I okay. will research if you email me the text, and you can call when we are talking about the uh, Old Testament view of God and the ontology of God. I will review it, and we'll talk about it openly when you give me your research. But to call in on the show and try to do it, our thing is not really about an equal exchange. Our thing is about okay. presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ according to Christian ideals to people. Does that help? And I would agree. And I, would agree, and I, I don't want to take up too much time. I know you've got other callers. And oh. I would agree, though, that I guess my view would be if this is in fact true, which it seems that scholarship on a great consensus has caught up with what Joseph Smith taught in oh, the 19th gosh. century oh, of the Council of God. Oh, that is so okay. terrifying to me, Walker. Uh, but, call, but email me and give me the proof text, and I will come back on the air, and you can call again, and I'll say, this is what Walker said. It seems like the preponderance of scholarship supports what Joseph Smith knew before they came in. Give me the evidence, and we'll, we'll look at it, and then we'll, we'll report again. Sure. All I right, will, my friend. I will gladly email you, son. Right. But I just, I just wanted to get your opinion on it, see what you, what you knew about it and so forth, and I appreciate you talking with me. All right, thanks so much. Thank you. God bye. bless. Bye-bye. We're going to William in Taylorsville, first-time caller. William, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, William. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. First of all, I wanted to say God bless you, and I hope he gives you peace. Thanks. In your life and in your heart, and I hope he blesses you with the knowledge Thank of you. truth and faith and what's right. Thank you. And then uh, just a simple question for you. Okay. What, what do you find good in the LDS faith? Oh. I find a lot of good in the LDS faith. I find people who are uh, sincere in their beliefs, though I find their beliefs just abhorrent, but they're sincere in their beliefs. I find good families. I find people who dress nicely, who bathe for the most part. I find people who have really uh, sound a hold on their finances. Uh, why they have that, I won't go into, but they have a sound hold on them. I think they do things qualitatively. I think the Christian church could learn a lot from cohesiveness from Mormonism. I think uh, there's a, they have great activities for youth. I think they do a lot of things that are beneficial for youth. But all that being said, William, um, you could find that in a really well-run military camp too. And you could go down to Camp Pendleton in San Diego and if the general of that camp was really onto his game, he would have the housing right, he'd have the kids' programs right, he'd have the men's group and the women's group right, he'd have the, the activities right. All of those things can happen without the true and living God involved. And so the problem is the true and living Jesus is not involved in the Mormon activities. And so while they do a lot of social good, and if I was going to join a church for social good alone and not worry about doctrine, I would probably be a Mormon. Okay. So do you believe that the LDS church has a lot of order in it? A lot of order, a lot of, lot of social goodness, sure. And is, is God's house full of order? 
God's house is, is full of order, yes. But remember, it's his order, not man's. God is highly diverse. You got to remember that. I mean, we got a lot of creatures roaming around here, sea creatures, land creatures, human creatures that are all very diverse. And so his order does not necessarily mean McDonald's order. Mm -hmm. What would the order be? The order is that his son came, he lived the perfect life, he shed his blood, and by faith on that blood, we are saved through grace. That's the order. Those are the core issues. And when God, in God's diversity, he says, you know, the Ugandans and the Brazilians and the um, Southern Californians and the Northern Utahns, those are some all different people. And they have some different ideas about life. But, man, when they just know those core issues, I love that because that's what saves them. Oh, they want to practice some type of baptism in Uganda that's different from Brazil, some sprinkle, some... That's okay. I have, I have the core issues to my people. They grow in the spirit. So men like to say, no, we have to do everything alike. We have to even speak alike, think alike, read the same things, live the same lives. And that is not God's order. Look at the universe, look at the world around us. He's very diverse. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, it does. And, uh, well, I'll let you go. Take All right, care. my friend. Thank you for yeah, calling. Yeah. I appreciate it. God bless you. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to Lori in Salt Lake City. Lori, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah, hi. Um, I was just wondering what your uh, thing was on... Um, the Jesus of the Bible and the Jesus of Mormonism, what the difference is. Oh, okay. Well, Lori, we'll start back and I'll quickly do a rehearsal. The Jesus of Mormonism has a beginning. He was created by God the Father and, and one of his wives. And he, like Satan, like you and me in Mormonism, were created spiritually before we came here. The Christian view of Jesus is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He has no beginning or end. He created all things, according to John. So from the very start, we have a different Jesus there. Secondly, Jesus says, I am from above, you are from beneath. So Jesus differentiates himself between humans and himself because he says, I came from up here, you came from the dust of the earth. And so there, where Mormons believe that they lived and Jesus is their elder brother, uh, Christians believe him to be their God who came down and took on a body of flesh. So we have a difference there. Then we have the idea that Jesus uh, lived a life. The Mormons, early apostles, taught he was married. Well, the Christians say, no, no, no. Jesus was not married. Jesus did not have multiple wives either. Then we come to his crucifixion. We come to the suffering for sin. The LDS say that it occurred in the Garden of Gethsemane and then on the cross. But the real atonement for sin many said, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible teaches nothing about the Garden of Gethsemane of being a atonement, but the cross, multiple references of being the cross, the cross, the cross, the shame of the cross, the focus on the cross. We have a resurrection. The story's pretty much the same between Mormons and, uh, and Christians. And then in the future, what do we have? We have Jesus now becoming a god where to Christians, Jesus just returns to his place with his body, waiting on the right hand of the Father to come back to earth and establish his kingdom here. So those are some of the main differences between Jesus. I didn't cover the conception of Jesus. 
Christians believe that Jesus was conceived through the Virgin Mary, and when she gave birth to Jesus, she was a virgin. Mormons believe because God the Father has a body of flesh and bone, that he had sexual relationships with Mary, like a man would in the natural order, and conceived. And when she bore Jesus, she was not a virgin. These things all compile to what we call twistianity. You have Christianity, and then you have twistianity. And by the time you get to the end of the road of Jesus and Mormonism, you got a creature and a guy who's completely different from what the Bible says he is. This is one of the reasons why we do the show. We want people to die knowing the true Jesus. Okay? Okay. Well, God bless you, Sean. God bless you, Lori. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. We have one minute with Carl. First time caller. Carl, you're on the air. Very good. Carl, you only got a minute. You bet. You're on the air. Hey, Sean? Yeah. God bless you, man. Hey, hey. Uh, this is just a comment about... Uh, Last uh, week, uh, about uh, the uh, wife, what happens to him? Yeah. My, my mother's mother was a twin, and his grandfather married both of them. One lived in Salt Lake in relative uh, good uh, surroundings, and my grandmother was left out in Spring City to fend for themselves. <laughs> they they raised bees to get money, and they walked the railroad tracks west of town for coal to heat and heat the house and to cook. Wow! And and when uh, when uh, they come down on my uh, grandfather, they're going to put him in jail, and he denied the whole family. Wow! And that bit <laughs> so. That's amazing, Carl. It's a great thing. I'm sorry we ran out of time. We can't discuss it more. But thank you so much for the call. All righty. Thank you. Good, good work. Thank Bye. you. God bless you. Bye-bye. Join us next week, uh, friends and family and enemies. Stay with us. Just hear what we have to say. Check us out. Check our facts out. Go to www.utlm.org and see if what I'm saying is right. You know, as a man, I am full of mistakes. I will say things that are not correct, but I try my best. If I make a mistake, call me on it. But if I don't, at least be willing to admit that we're throwing things out there that you haven't heard and didn't know. Find the real Jesus. Get on your knees and ask him to open your eyes and heart. This is the most important thing you'll ever do. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter. my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty cage and run I'm gonna break I'm gonna break my gonna break my rusty